And now, a word to you who are elders in the churches. I too am an elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ, and I too will share in his glory when he is revealed to the whole world. As a fellow elder, I appeal to you, care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not, grudge, not grudgingly, not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. In the same way, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders. And all of you, dress yourself in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for your care and your, and your love for us. Lord, and we thank you for an opportunity to come and learn more about that today. Lord, I ask that you would be with each and every one of us. Lord, uh, soften our hearts to hear your word today. Lord, allow it to indwell in our lives. Allow it to change the way we think, the way we live, to match more of how you would have us be. Lord, I pray that you would give Pastor Doug strength of voice today. Let him preach with boldness. Lord, give him confidence in your word. In your name we pray. Amen. There was a time in the, our country's history when the church was the reporter and speaker against the tyranny of the government. Preachers took it upon themselves to highlight and denounce any community and national device that was promoted and contrary to the word of God. Preachers during this time believed that they were mandated to do so in order to protect the integrity of the church and to encourage the charge of those who attended. They held fast to the words that penned by the Apostle Peter in which Pastor Steve read in 1 Peter 5, Verses 2 and 3 where it says, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. This morning... I come to you in such a manner, for over the not too distant past, a virus has infected our society and the church. This virus has spread its tentacles and has done its best to harm, and too often it's taken life. The physical damage of this virus has even hit this local assembly. Some of our congregation have succumbed to its deadly design, while others have been able to with, withstand the onslaught. Yet I see on the horizon a more deadly virus, a more deadly disease. A disease that is not satisfied with the physical, but desires to captivate 
the spiritual as well. And thus I desire to speak against such a virus. And this morning I wish to share with you the spiritual dangers of COVID-19. But first we need to ask the Lord for his power that will allow his word to be clearly spoken and to allow his word, word to be clearly heard so that it will not lose heart in this present times. Let us pray. Father, it is with great honor I stand before these people and at the same time I stand before them trembling. I feel like in times past, a prophet that was given a message by you to be shared to the people. And sometimes that message wasn't very nice. It wasn't easy to hear, and it wasn't easy to deliver. This morning, I find myself in such a position. Not that I'm a prophet by any means, but I am given the charge to shepherd the flock effectively. So Lord, I'm asking you this morning that your word would be spoken clearly and spoken the truth in love. As well as, Lord, I'm asking that through the power of your Holy Spirit using your word, that you would infect our hearts for the battle that is ahead of us. There is a dangerous virus that's on the horizon. And I wish to expose it here this morning. Help me, O Lord God. That which we do not yet know, I pray that you would give us the wisdom and knowledge. That which we need, I pray, O God, that you would supply that need. And the changes that need to be made, I pray, O oh God, that you would direct us for your name's sake. And it's in the name of Christ our Savior, I ask these things. Amen. Yes, this morning I wish to speak with you concerning the spiritual dangers of COVID-19. I have promised my wife... And I think I broke that promise a little bit in the more first service. And this is not going to be a political announcement, but more of a spiritual aspect. So, so let's begin. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7, it says that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love, and a sound mind, or self-discipline. The first danger that I see in the realms of the spiritual dangers of COVID-19 is fear. Fear. You will not find anywhere in the scriptures any place where the scripture writers would even begin to tell you that you are to fear man. There you will not find 
any place. Respect mankind, yes. Fear them, no. In fact, Jesus even said in the book of Matthew, he says, do not fear the man that can take your life, but fear the one who can take both your life and your soul. Fear him, he's referencing God. In fact, the one and only whom we are to fear is God himself. I mean, it wasn't too long ago, just a few weeks ago, whereby we looked at the passage in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, where the shepherds were told by the angelic host, Fear not, for unto you was born this day in the city of David the Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Fear not. But if you go to the book of Psalms, for instance, and there in Psalm 34, you will find in verse 7, 9, and 11 the same phrase, fear the Lord. What does it mean to fear the Lord? Seeing that he is the only one whom we are to fear, what does that literally mean? The Hebrew and Greek language that we have now, our English language translated from, has three applications to what it means to fear the Lord. The first is this. It means to be in utter, absolute awe of God, to be intellectually, emotionally, spiritually, and physically overwhelmed by His holiness by his power, by his purity, his righteousness, and his justness. A complete, if you will, acknowledgement of how awesome our God truly is. It's not something that we flippantly pass on as God being our buddy. He is much more than that. He's not to be viewed as a genie whereby we rub the magic lamp known as the word of God through prayer and get whatever we want. No. We are to stand in absolute awe of who he is. The most destructive typhoon that could hit any Pacific island, the most horrific volcano that can erupt and wipe out villages, the most devastating virus that can capture the hearts of a world. In God's eyes, his power is like that far above all that there is. The second part, though, of, of what it is to fear the Lord is to have reverence for God and to fall down on one's face before God in honor and homage, adoration, and worship. Throughout the Word of God, when individuals 
saw or at least heard of some of the power of God's name, it caused them to fall prostrate on the ground. We are to be the same way. How tremendous that particular phraseology, reverence for God, is best illustrated that as the scribes that took the original inspired texts and began to write it out, when they would get to the name that they were to write concerning Yahweh, God, after they would write that, they wouldn't write that name with a used pen, or I should say feather. They would break the one that they were using, get a brand new one, begin to write that name, and after they finished, they broke it again to start new. In fact, there were many situations where they, what they wrote, they would not even pronounce. All they wrote was Y. H-W-H. We get Yahweh from that. Many places they would not even say the name Yahweh. They would say Adonijah. My God. That's reverence for the name. That's, if you will, an understanding of how powerful it is. But, le but least, but the last but not least, the third sense of fearing the Lord is this. It's a fear of dishonoring or displeasing or disappointing or it's the fear of disobeying our Father who is in heaven. When I was in fourth grade in a Small school, believe me, small. When I said small, it's in Schuyler Lake, New York. None of you even have any idea where Schuyler Lake, New York is. I had a teacher by the name of Mr. Silvernail. As a fourth grader, I mean, we're, we're not that big ourselves, but Mr. Silvernail seemed to be a giant amongst midgets. When he stood in the hallways, there was no goofing around. There was getting to class. I had Mr. Silvernail for a fourth grade teacher. He would take us outside after lunch, and he loved to kick balls. He would kick them, and they would go higher in the air than they would go long in distance. And fourth graders, we stood amazed. None of us could match that. One day, as we were in his class, he handed out an assignment. And I thought I was just making a comment, if you will, trying to be a class clown, which I was really not very good at. I said to some of my people that were next to me, I said, you know, I really don't like doing this. He heard me. And he came to my desk and he took the papers from me and he said, fine. Then you don't have to do it. But he said it in such a way 
that had halted my heart. It was from that moment on that I determined never again to disgrace Mr. Silvernail. I tried everything I could to please him because of who he is. That's fearing the Lord. Doing whatever we can to not dishonor him, but to please him. Fear. Oswald Chambers said it a little bit differently than I've given to you. He said this, The remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear no one and nothing else. Whereas, if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. Blessed is everyone that fears the Lord. Fear. What does fear do? Someone wrote this interesting statement when he said, Fear of the world outside our doors narrows our circle of lives. We want to keep ourselves from people from those who need us the most, fear. But fear also brings the second part of the spiritual danger in its divisions. In 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 10, the Apostle Paul, after he has introduced himself and given his credentials, he gets right to the issue. For he says, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I truly believe that there are. You see, what was happening is individuals in that particular assembly was garnering themselves according to an individual. And some were saying, I'm from Cephas, who was Peter. Some said, I'm from this person. And the real spiritual ones said, I'm from Jesus Christ. What they were doing was creating, the Greek word divisions literally means schisms, tears. Used in a fishing market, it means the net has become useless because it has been torn from its design and it cannot capture the intended fish. There were divisions in that church. Back last year, I, I was part of what it was called a, a webinar. We weren't there personally, but we could see and hear the discussion going on as it reflected, what do we do in churches during the great pandemic? One of the pastors that were speaking there shared a dilemma that he had in his church. The dilemma was between individuals that said, you must take the vaccination. And then there were those who said, 
if you do take the vaccination, you'll take the mark, referencing the 666. Uh, they were wrong theologically, by the way, but you understand what was happening. There were individuals that were saying, if you don't take the vaccination, then you don't care about us. You're, you're selfish. And those who refused to take the vaccination were using other explanatives to describe the other section. And the pastor raised a good question. How do you minister to those ends of the spectrum? How do you bring them together? That is a spiritual danger. Division is not something that God causes. Neither does he cause confusion. The author of all division is our worst enemy. His name is Satan. The first time he caused division was in Genesis chapter 3. When he commented to the woman when he said, Hath God really said that? The division came between mankind and God himself. Divisions in the church. They haven't ceased. Divisions can be caused by the color of carpet. By the color of wall paint. By even putting words on a screen. Divisions. Every Sunday during the football season, there are 22 players that take the field. 11 offense, 11 defense. All of them do not have the same job. All of them do not perform the same on each team. There aren't 22 quarterbacks out on the field at one time. But there may very well be 70,000 of them in the stands. <laughs> there aren't 22 linebackers on the field at the same time. That may be kind of interesting, seeing that they just hit, hit each other, tackle each other, and see the last one almost like a WWE show. But what there are, are there individuals who have been given a specific position based upon their talents in order to accomplish a task. The offense's task is to score. The defensive task is to stop them. But they all have the same goal. No divisions. And one purpose, and one idea, and that is to win the game. Divisions keep the church from accomplishing what is designed to do. First Corinthians chapter 11, chapter 12, and chapter 13. It references gifts. It references order. It references 
these three, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest is love. All for the design that using the gifts is for the purpose of equipping the saints and reaching the lost. Divisions stop that. That's a danger of COVID-19 because it leads to the next one, which is a loss of purpose. Fear leads to divisions. Divisions lead to a loss of purpose. Put Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25 underneath there. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. Let me read those verses for you to highlight exactly what we're referencing. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through that curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The purpose of the church is to encourage one another. It is to stir up one another to love and good works. But we can only do that if we come together. I'm not talking about taking precautions. It's always good to take precautions. Jesus said before a king goes to war, he better take inventory of what he's got. I'm talking about fear, which leads to divisions, which leads to a loss of purpose. If we don't gather together, there's no way we can use our gifts to support and encourage one another. Not only that, but the Apostle Paul writes for us in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20, that even individually we have a purpose. The purpose is, is that we have been bought with the, with the blood of Christ. We are not our own. We are part of the body of Christ. And we are to glorify God in our bodies, both individually and corporately. We causes loss of purpose, a very spiritual danger. 
of COVID-19. Which leads me to, as I said, I'd promise I wouldn't say anything politically. But this isn't going to end. There'll be another virus. There'll be another adaptation of a virus. It's not going to stop. And in that, we can be fearful, which causes divisions, which causes loss of purpose, and finally, a loss of vision. Jesus Christ has given us a vision, given to us in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. Therefore, go you into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them all things whatsoever I've told you. And lo, I'll be with you always, even unto the end of the age. In Acts chapter 1, and in verse 8, it says, you shall be filled with the Holy Spirit when he comes upon you. Be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and uttermost parts of the earth. Well, how can we do that if we're so fearful of a virus? Again, I'm not talking about precautions. But when we focus more on the issues of a virus, we lose God's vision for the truth and our world that needs us so much. Our communities need us. They need for us to engage them in the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They need us to minister to them in order that they may see the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ in actions. What they don't need to see is churches that disintegrate because of fear. Fear God. Not a virus. Not a man. But fear God. When you go to Psalm 34... It distinctly and gloriously says these words. The angel of the Lord encamps around them that fear him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his holy ones. For those who fear him have no want. That's our goal, dear people. My purpose this morning is to share these things because, unfortunately, I've seen these things in action even here at Grace Community Church. And as a shepherd of the sheep, I'm commanded by God to watch over and to shepherd the flock. I don't want to see us disintegrate. I want to see us grow in the glory and the wonder 
and yes, in the fear of the Lord, that he would receive all the honor and glory. I don't care what Fauci says. Oh, that's political, but I don't care what he says. If one thing we need to do in these days that we have, that we are facing, it is to fear the Lord and allow him to use us for his honor and glory. Can we pray together? Gracious Lord, this news isn't easy to deliver but it's needful for our day. Oh, Lord, may our focus not be on a virus. Precautionary as we can be, but yet may our focus be upon you. Let us not cower away from those who need us the most. We have a community of lostness around us. They need to see and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And let us as a church here at Grace Community Church, let us do all that we can to introduce people to the greatest news, the good news, that Jesus Christ has died for them and so desires for the lost to know him, that they may have life eternal. May that be our passion. May that be our purpose. May that be our vision, our unity, and your glory. I ask these things in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen.